coming to you from Santa Cruz, California and the US of A. You're listening to This Ocean Life Podcast. Thank you for being here. I am your host, Josh Peterson. Today's episode number 96, we speak with Haley Jo Carr, a woman dedicated to marine conservation in the Bahamas. Haley Jo takes us through her youth on the coast of England to finding her passion for scuba diving and undersea life on the vacation in the Whitsunday Islands of Australia. We hear of Haley Joe's pursuit of her passion for diving and marine conservation over the years, leading to the Bahamas where today she focuses on coral restoration. Haley Joe talks about her role as Patty Course Director, training local dive shops to teach their scuba students how to contribute to coral restoration, and her role as coordinator of the Reef Rescue Network, working with NGOs and planning dive operations to expand the network of coral reef nurseries. Haley Joe provides great perspective on these coral nurseries, the importance of volunteer science and restoration efforts to support them, the health of the Bahamas shark populations, her love of underwater fashion modeling, impacts of the recent Hurricane Dorian, and much, much more to be educated and inspired by. So, hope everybody's enjoying their time in the ocean, getting out. After listening to Haley Joe today, you'll want to do something good for the water, whether it's picking up trash, not using a straw, or getting out, getting in the water, doing something cool for the animals, helping your local marine science or conservation group. Thanks again for being here. Can't do without you. Appreciate all the support. Now, sit back and enjoy the ocean life of Haley Joe Carr. All right, so Haley, um, as we were talking, it's been kind of phone tag, email tag for some months. It's like you're super busy with your field season being underwater, and we'll talk about what you're doing in a lot of different ways. And then here we are, mid-September, able to chat finally. I know, finally. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that we finally managed to connect today. It's great. Yeah, I appreciate your, your sticking with me on this whole thing. And <laughs> um, you know, you were referred to me, I'm Pia or, or Zarzun. And so it was cool. I found you, I'd seen you, and then she had mentioned you to me. And then so here we finally are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pia's a great friend of mine. And I, I love the podcast you did with her. So um, yeah, it's great. I recognize a lot of faces through the you know, the love of the ocean throughout yeah. your podcast. So it's great to see other people and what they're doing. Yeah, cool. So, hey, real quick, you know, you're you're in Nassau, Bahamas. And before we dive into you and what you're doing and everything, just would you mind just giving us a quick, I mean, we're a couple of weeks after Hurricane Dorian. I know where you're at wasn't as impacted as other areas and there's a lot going on there. But just, I'm just curious, like for, for where you're at on land in water, I mean, give us your perspective, if you don't mind real quick, what it's like what it was like during it yeah no certainly um yeah obviously a completely crazy time um, i'm here on nassau on new providence um, and we were really fortunate that the hurricane kind of just went above us and like to the side of us um so it didn't actually have a major impact here on our island it was just kind of a stormy a stormy day yes there was flooding um etc but nothing in comparison to grand bahama and abaco who had the direct hit for several hours um, so you know it was more like said of a tropical storm here and the whole time just thinking and praying for all the people all the work colleagues um all our friends um and everyone else that was was hit by the hurricane so just complete destruction on those two islands you know there's a lot of obviously relief efforts happening at the moment. Lots of people getting involved with helping out over there. But yeah, no, it's been 
it's been pretty distressing to see, you know, as everyone's been saying on social media, what the situation is over there. I've not actually visited um, the islands yet, but obviously in the near future, I'm hoping to go over there and, and help out with some of the rebuilding. But yeah, many, many people, like I said, with the Perry Institute of Marine Science, we, we work on both of those islands. So um, years of work um, just gone. And, um, you know, it's like I said, in the process of just helping our partners just reestablish themselves in the future, really. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you and your family are out of harm's way. And, uh, you know, everybody's our hearts go out to the folks out in those that are outer areas that were hit. Kind of drill into a little bit the impacts to the work, as you mentioned, that you've been part of and within you know, the Perry Institute for Marine Science and specifically with some of the coral nurseries that you're involved with. And I'm curious, it's like I'm just imagining this gnarly storm goes through. It's devastating on land, but it also it affects things underwater as well. Right. Tides, currents, winds, things get messed up and reefs. And with these the coral nurseries and all the cool pictures you have. Talk about the impacts, if any, from Dorian or just heavy-duty storms to these nurseries, you guys, that you're helping to set up. I've, I've obviously not had feedback from the nurseries that we have um, in Abaco and Grand Bahama, but I'm sure that they're probably, they've been destroyed. Usually, they just get completely swept away, so just all the work will be completely gone. Just with the power of that, that storm, I, I'd be very surprised if any of the nurseries that I've established there will be left. So, you know, and obviously it's too soon. People are currently on survival mode still. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of time before we can check to see the status of the nurseries. But we do have um, a research vessel going out there next week um, around the islands, going to be checking some of the reefs. We'd actually done a lot of work around those islands, checking the coral reefs, literally a couple of weeks before Hurricane Dorian hit. So what um, some of the team are doing next week is they're going back out to some of those sites and just assessing the exact sites, doing things like photo mosaics, for example, um, and just to show the exact destruction that, that Dorian has caused. So we'll actually find out the exact damage that's been done um, in the next couple of weeks. Mm, that'd um, be really interesting. I mean, in a, in a, I mean, in a sad way, of, of course, but interesting to see that kind of before after comparison. Yeah, like I can compare it to Hurricane Matthew, which was a um, direct hit to Nassau um, a couple of years back. And, you know, I lost quite a few nurseries within that. The The corals on the trees are OK within the nursery. The, the corals survive because, you know, they just retract their polyps and hold on, you know. Um, but it's more the actual structures that are in place that can just get swept away the storms coral reefs just get completely destroyed in hurricanes like after matthew um when i went diving whole reefs that i've been diving on for years were completely obliterated wow. so, so what happens is huge coral heads just get broken off and then they just get thrown around so you've just got this giant like bowling ball effect rolling around on the reef and just smashing up the next to the reef so it, it's literally like it's been dynamited and an, another bad thing from hurricanes that will happen is areas will just get completely covered in mud um, debris and sludge like meters deep they're, they're just completely covered in all this um, debris and mud um, gone forever so yeah that there was a lot of tears diving after Hurricane Matthew for sure. And I'm, you know, I believe the same thing's obviously going to be the same with Dorian. A lot of the reefs that over there were just, some of the reefs over there were just pristine. So it's going to be pretty depressing to see what might have happened to them now. 
Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. And a big part of what you're doing, you know, day to day is with your instructing of others, you know, scuba diving, but a big focus is setting these nurseries up. So and I see pictures of them on Instagram and I, I've been kind of digging into them. They're really cool. But but give us provide give us like a, a visual description um, or verbal description of what these nurseries are and look like and sort of what the point of them are for folks who don't know. Yeah, so a coral nursery, there's various different styles and designs out there at the moment. It's constantly evolving. The current design, the most popular design that we tend to be using right now is it kind of is a like a tree structure. So just kind of made out of, of pipes cross-sectioned together. So it almost looks like a, a little Christmas tree underwater with all these lines hanging off the branches. And then we and adds coral fragments to um, the lines so they're like hanging off like a Christmas decoration on a tree so they hang off these structures and generally the structures will just be mid-water just floating structures so they can move around with the water movement and yeah we, we grow the fragment of coral and then once it's grown large enough fragments can be cut off and then you can take that piece of coral and then plant it back into the reef and especially in areas that have been damage from hurricanes or maybe ship groundings or any other damage. Those are areas that we can focus on to actually plant these corals back. And then it's just helping to restore and help the natural recovery of these coral species. Yeah, how cool. <laughs> You're basically gro <laughs> growing these little guys. Yeah, it's kind of like, I just say it's underwater gardening because yeah. I think that's the easiest for people. You, you know, you think, well, you want to help the rainforest, well, go plant a tree. It's kind of that. It's like to help coral reefs plant a coral. Yeah. So it's just helping, you know, the natural recovery. And obviously we're working with critically endangered species. We're working with the acroporid corals. So these are critically endangered. You know, it's, it's really a race against time at the moment to try and help them recover. Right. And so how many different species of corals do you work with in your nurseries? So we're just mainly working with the acroporid corals. Okay. So, um, the Acropora cervicornis and the palmata and the prolifera, which is the common names of the staghorn coral, the elkhorn coral, and the fused staghorn. They're the main ones that we work with, but we also work with um, parietes as well. Um, and but the acroporid corals are the main, the main ones we're working with because, as I mentioned, they're the ones that are critically endangered. Now, kind of move into your day-to-day -day, um, participation in, in these nurseries, but also just marine science in general and sort of where you play in all of that. You know, what's your role? Uh, so my role at the present is I am working for the Perry Institute for Marine Science, and I'm the training director for the company. Um, so I'm also a paddy course director, so I do a lot of training. And my my main role, if you like, is as the coordinator of the Reef Rescue Network. So this network was established because a lot of people were doing work um, here, particularly in the Bahamas. There was lots of nurseries happening, people doing different efforts, but there wasn't a combined effort with combined data. Um, so we've set up this network so that we can kind of put all the nurseries under one umbrella, if you like, so that we can all gather data or follow the same protocols. And also we wanna be tracking like the genetics of these corals um, and making sure that everyone is, you know, doing the, like I said, the correct procedures. Currently I've been doing this now the last couple of years and we now have about 38 coral nurseries. Um, and my main role is 
obviously helping to manage these nurseries, working with partners, NGOs, other businesses um, that want to establish nurseries as well. So it's about like establishment, maintaining and, you know, helping with the outplanting process as well. And then also doing uh, assessing of the outplanting process to check, you know, the success rate in different areas. Uh, Do you want to change like jobs and careers with me? That sounds so awesome. Like I love, I love the balance. Back in the day, as I mentioned, like I spent a few years uh, as a diver, but it's like this. There's a nice trend. It's great being in the water, and it's great having some desk time and like planning what to do in the water next. It's like a little bit of both, and you get to coordinate and then jump in the water too. That's uh, just like the best of both worlds. Yeah, it's really fantastic. Yeah, because I've just obviously the summer months for me are, are the, my quiet time. They're my downtime because. The, the temperatures are too hot in the water to work with the corals. So I've just had a little bit of downtime now. And, and now at the moment, I'm in the process of just planning my timetable because October to May for me is like coral time. Yeah. So I'm literally going to be back to back field trips um, now, nonstop until, yeah, May next year. Uh, traveling all around these different islands, like the the islands that I'm getting to visit in the Bahamas is just incredible. Um, such beautiful places. So I've been traveling all around. I've even got to go to Aruba. I'm going to St. Lucia in the fall. Mm. So yeah, the it, it's just, I'm very fortunate for sure to be doing this job. It's incredible. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, it's, it's, it's awesome you, you recognize that because it is so special. So of all the, the places you've been, this is probably a hard question to answer, but do you have like a favorite either dive spot or island or something that really sticks out? I mean, shoot, you probably have a bunch, but something that really sticks out in your mind. Yeah, I know. And I get asked that question all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've probably got like 15,000 Plus dives. Um, <laughs> it's it's a tough question. And, you know, I can't say I have, you know, I don't have a specific favorite spot. I have favorite memories of mm. places for sure that I've been. You know, everywhere is so different. You know, I love probably for diversity. I love Indonesia uh, for diving just for I'm really into my critters as well. <laughs> and um all the unusual things in the ocean. So Indonesia is just the most unique in terms of the things I've seen, just things that make you like go, what is that? Um, Yeah. Very unusual stuff in Indonesia. I love the variety there. I love, you know, Thailand with obviously whale sharks. Wow. Uh, I just absolutely love whale sharks. Uh, Fiji, because I got to explore dive sites that no one else has ever been to. Then the Bahamas, you know, the Bahamas is absolutely stunning. Just with the clarity of the water, the visibility here is insane. And then obviously with our shark populations here, you know, it's it's a shark sanctuary here in the Bahamas. So that's the first thing that attracted me here was the sharks. The variety of sharks that are found here, you know, I get to dive with oceanic white tips with hammerheads with tiger sharks with reef sharks with nurse sharks like it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty special because i've dived all over the world and i know you know obviously sadly shark populations are in huge decline so to be somewhere where there is healthy populations of sharks that's definitely the highlight for me here in the bahamas for sure yeah no, that's so cool and so how how many years have you been in the bahamas like diving consistently i think nearly 10 years now yeah Got it. So a decade of diving like like steadily in 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 that area. 
And back to like the shark nursery, uh, I'm not sorry, nursery conservation aspect of it all. Have you seen like a positive growth, just anecdotally, just kind of like, you know, off your gut call? Have you, have you noticed like more sharks over that past decade in the population there? Um, I wouldn't say I've noticed more, no, um, just, just consistency. I just consistently have yeah. seen a healthy population. I I haven't seen the levels rise, no, but I certainly haven't seen any decline, which is, you know, what we want. So, yeah. um, no, it's just always been from the first minute I came here, um, the shark populations were were good um, and they've continued to be so. So it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love to hear that. Absolutely. So back to you in the water. So you're coordinating sort of the nurseries, the locations, you're working with different NGOs on this, but then you're also, you yourself are in the water. So talk about what you're doing. So are you physically like helping to construct, monitor, maintain the nurseries, but also training the divers to be certified to dive, but also to instruct others? Yeah, I'm pretty much hands-on with everything. So like you said, I'm when I'm diving, I'm I'm in the water either building structures, um, out planting, or you know monitoring. Um, and I also, as well as doing this, my role was to really, with my background in dive training, we really wanted with the network to really get recreational divers involved. You know, we want members of the public involved. It wasn't about just having marine scientists only doing this work. Um, we really wanted to bridge that gap so that you know local people and just your average open water diver can just come under the water and actually help with some coral conservation. So to bridge that gap as a paddy course director, the best way I thought was to create a paddy specialty program to train people on corals, learn about corals, um, about how they sexually reproduce, about how they feed, about their whole makeup, and then teach them about coral nurseries and how they can actually maintain a coral nursery themselves and outplant corals. So I authored um, the Reef Rescue Diver Program. And I, when I go around, and certainly when I'm going around to our partners, especially if they're a dive shop, what I can do is go to that dive shop. I train the instructors to be able to teach this course to their divers so that when they have their guests coming in and their divers coming in they can take out um, people to the nursery and they can actively be you know helping them restore the corals and and get involved themselves uh, that's so cool because people want to be involved i've had this conversation with different folks in different kind of capacities but people want to be involved you know but sometimes yeah you can pick up trash and you can reduce plastic and that's really good but people who a lot of times they're looking for more. They want to do stuff, do something good while they're experiencing the ocean, while they're in the ocean. And I'm definitely one of those people, you know. <laughs> so getting the, the community involved, the community, but also tourists, I'm guessing, who come to dive in the Bahamas, they probably get stoked on the ability to like contribute in some way. Yeah. Yeah. It's really for everyone. That's why this network is so amazing, you know, and I've I've got a group created that I can just post in there and say, hey, I'm on this island this weekend and you know, we have a coral nursery dive, who's available to come out. And anyone that's done this course, um, you know, I have a couple of hundred of volunteers now. And it's great because I get to see them all the time because then they'll be like, hey, yeah, I'm free this weekend. I can come out and help. And, you know, they get a real buzz out of coming out and just they're putting these corals in and planting these corals themselves. You know, they planted that actual coral. They can go back there and 
watch it grow over the next few years, you know, and you really, really feel like you're making a huge difference. So, um, yeah, it definitely gives everyone a buzz getting involved. People, people just love it. And like you say, it's, it's not just for people that live here. It is for tourists coming in. Um, so anyone visiting the islands can come and get involved and take the course. And then every time they come back, they can, they can keep checking on their coral. Oh, yeah, that's cool. So the monitoring aspect of this, so people can come and take the program and help them construct the nurseries and plant new corals. But then the monitoring, right, there's a checking part. And so how about like the data that comes out of the monitoring from the citizens, you know, is that used? And if so, in which way? Well, the monitoring, well, we're still in the early days, the monitoring, because think about it, I've just for the last couple of years, I've just spent time setting up the nurseries. So Obviously, we've had nurseries here for a few years before that, for many years before that, that have been assessed. But the main bulk of these nurseries are now in the stage of being outplanted. So, you know, from the fall now is when we start the big outplanting and then the monitoring. Mm. So we're still in the kind of the early days. Like I said, some sites have already been monitored for years, but most of these nurseries are getting outplanted for the first time. So... The process that we want to take, and obviously this is constantly changing, uh, but one of the things that we're we're doing at the moment is photo mosaics. So what we can do is before we outplant at the site, we can do a photo mosaic of the area, then put the corals into this area, photo mosaic it after, and then continually photo mosaic um, over the years to see how are these corals growing, you know, how is this reef developing? and have a detailed visual image um, showing that section of reef. So that's one way that we can do monitoring. Another way we can do monitoring is we do um, agri surveys. I don't know if you, have you heard no. about No, what are those? Um, so with AGRA, it's the Atlantic Gulf Rapid Reef Assessment. Um, mouthful there. Um, they're basically underwater um, surveys so we go down people are um, surveyors in a specific um, style so we have somebody checking the corals somebody else is doing fish and somebody else is doing benthic surveys and what we do is cross sections you know counting how many certain types um, of fish there are for example uh, looking at the bottom and looking at what's um, what algaes are covering the bottom um, we're looking at the corals, measuring corals, looking at the health of coral. There's a whole, um, you know, set of protocols that you go through for it. But you do these surveys and it basically assesses the health of the reef. So we can do these surveys, like I said, before outplanting, during, and then, you know, over the next few years, just keep using um, the agri system to do monitoring at these sites to see, you know, is this coral restoration efforts, what effect are they having on the whole reef? So it's, it's still a, like I said, it's still a, a new area for a lot of the nurseries that I've established because they're just in the stage of outplanting for the first time. So it's, it's exciting. It's yeah. Exciting. Uh, it's like, yeah, you're right on the forefront of it all. I mean, how neat to be part of it. And then, you know, in a year, two, three, four, you know, this, this is not like overnight stuff, but imagine in five or six, 10 years and you look and you're like, wow, Look at these pictures from, you know, 2018 or 19, and now here you are in almost 2030, and look at the growth. Let's, you know, hope that's where we go with it. You know, yeah. how neat to be part of that, you know? 
Yeah, no, it's amazing. And like I said, this isn't a, a you know, the Perry Institute have been doing this for many years. So we do have reefs that have been, you know, mm. ha have the data recorded and pictures recorded from like the last eight years. Um, and I've visited some of the reefs that they've been doing for that time. And it's just incredible to see these outplanted corals are now huge. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely had huge success in a lot of areas throughout the Bahamas, which is just amazing to see. Yeah, oh, that's that's like such a great story. One thing too that you know, back to the the agri surveys you mentioned, and what you're talking about, and I relate that back to some of the work I've done here back in like a different life, but also friends who are still involved. Which is, you mentioned surveying um, and creating a like a what I would call a in quotes air quotes a complete profile of an area underwater. As you mentioned, it's like, hey, what's the reef doing? Surveying the corals. There's certain protocols and measurements what's like the different algaes, what are the fish? And what you do is you create this kind of holistic profile of what lives there, right? And we have a similar thing here in California along the kelp forest. And this was my favorite thing was like going to these sites recurring and doing the same thing. You have somebody who's just kind of creeping on the bottom, looking in cracks and crevices, looking at algae, you know, and writing, you know, recording data, somebody else doing that for fish. And then there's somebody else counting kelp. And so what you get out of that, like what you guys have is like this, it's like a holistic picture of what is living there. And then looking at that over time, it's so fascinating because, you know, for me anyway, I mean, most of us, you get jump in the water and you're kind of singularly focused. It's hard. There's so much underwater to see. It's kind of hard to kind of take it all in. But when you have these different data points on different sort of, I don't know, aspects of the water, the kelp, the algae, the fish, and you put it all together, it's really fascinating to understand what as a whole, the system that's underneath there. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, like you say, a lot of these different things are all coming together, but there'll be important markers throughout the survey. But yeah, it, it definitely makes me look at reefs completely differently because, you know, I'm a benthic surveyor, so I'm the one looking at the algaes on the bottom. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just face down, you know, right. and, and marking off these points underneath. And, you know, when and it is just making you think ahead, like, what does this mean for this reef? You know, so, for example, if the whole reef is completely covered in algae, it's like I'm already thinking, OK, so where are coral larvae going to fit in? Mm. Where are they going to land and settle and grow? So, you know, it can be really worrying sometimes because you're like, oh, this this reef is in really bad shape. And then sometimes you'll go to another reef where there's, you know, it's lovely and healthy and clean and there's tons of sea urchins everywhere eating all the algae and, it, and it's just looking really healthy and then your heart's kind of glowing as you're doing the survey because you're like <laughs> oh, this, reef, this is a good reef there are good reefs still around so yeah it can be ups and downs but um yeah it's, it's definitely an interesting way of uh looking at a coral reef for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 so then let's rewind a lot how did you, you know, like I'm listening to you and I know my, my daughters who are really interested in this stuff and many other people listening, but like, how did Haley get to this point to, do, to doing what you're doing, you know? So let's rewind. I mean, talk about just your entry into the ocean and scuba diving years back. Is it as a kid? Just take us back from the start and how you got you know to the point where you're at. Yeah. Um, <laughs> rewind a long way. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, well, I'm originally, um, from Cornwall in England and uh growing up you know I grew up on the beaches in Cornwall basically uh, and then very with my tropical family, beaches right oh they're gorgeous 
the water's freezing cold yeah that's why I'm not there at the moment uh so really cold water but you know still amazing stuff to see but when I was was growing up I was always at the beach and uh, my family all surfed so we were all surfing when I was kids and then just rock pooling I was always in the rock pools just you know looking around seeing all the animals what's here and just really interested from an early age, always have loved animals, always loved nature, the ocean being outside. Um, but diving, you know, really did not convince my life at that point. I didn't know anyone that, that dived um, growing up. My family weren't involved with it. I didn't really know any divers. There's not, there wasn't a huge diving community there where I grew up. So, you know, I didn't dive when I was until I was a lot later after I actually left university. So I was, like I said, always had a love of the ocean. I went, but always involved with outdoors. So I actually went to university and I studied sport and recreation studies because I was big into mountaineering as well, rock climbing, kayaking, canoeing. And I did a sports degree. But as, as soon as I left university, I was like, okay, I'm going to go traveling. It's really popular in the UK. Us Brits, we love to go backpacking, take that gap, <laughs> go backpacking. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. So I just was like, I said to my friend at the time, I was like, come on, let's just go travel and, and see the world before we start our careers. We went traveling, we went to Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, Thailand, Indonesia, just went traveling the world. And it was while I was in Australia, you know, got the Great Barrier Reef. So like most backpackers, me and my friend were like, okay, let's learn to dive in Australia. Let's learn to dive on the Great Barrier Reef. We, we had all these intentions to get trained up in Cairns, which is like where everybody gets certified in Australia yeah. at the time. And, uh, we were traveling up the east coast of Australia and we went on a trip around the Whitsunday Islands. And these are just a group of like absolutely tropical paradise, you know, these group of islands, yeah. stunningly beautiful, the Whitsundays. And we were aboard this huge sailing vessel. And while we were on that trip, though, obviously the guy was an amazing seller because this instructor was like, hey, you know, you got to try diving. And we're like, no, 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 we're going to do our... We're going to do our open water once we get up to Cairns. He's like, no, 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 this is the Sunday Islands. You need to try diving on this trip. So we were like, you know, and we're backpacking. So we've got hardly any money. We're like, oh, can we afford it? <laughs> you know, like scraping together our money. Like, okay, okay, you've sold it. We'll, we'll try a dive while we're on this sailing boat in the Sunday Islands. And um, I just remember we just jumped in the water went down and I wow I was just completely blown away from the minute I went diving like it was just so insanely beautiful just such amazing animals around me I didn't even know what half of it was but I wanted to know what every single thing was straight away I had a million questions when my head popped back out the water oh. it was just absolutely stunning I was just hooked the minute I did it and uh, we ended up doing three more dives on that on that actual sailboat, like try dives, if you like. Um, and then couldn't wait to get certified, you know, as soon as we left there. And it was just a completely magical experience. Yeah. And, and after after the Sundays, I then carried on. I, I don't even think I made it to Cairns because, you know, I was already hooked. So <laughs> Rainbow Beach, another place. And I 
I did my open water certification. Yeah, and then just haven't looked back really. So it was just absolutely amazing doing that that open water course and and just diving on the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, I I love those stories of people who find that deep connection that you didn't know you had until you dumped your head under, dove down and saw that world. You know, there's other stories like that on the podcast and it's so rad to hear, you know, and then so you're like instantly hooked, not having like a marine science background or education. You were like, hey, I need to be involved in this in some way, shape or form. So how did you then take that from I got certified in your love of diving into finding a profession, you know? I know I have been very fortunate just following your passion really and just you know I, I know that sounds really cheesy but just really once you find something you love just keep you know pushing for that so that's what yeah, I did yeah. I you know I I came back to the UK so I I did my diving course was completely hooked on travel at this point as well so you know after I learned to dive I was also then traveling traveling and diving all of these countries that I was visiting so once I returned home I knew straight away I was like well I don't want to stop diving and I don't want to stop traveling so that was my goal so immediately I just packed up left again and I was like right I want to travel and dive what can I do okay become a dive instructor I can get to do both things I can get to see the world die keep diving amazing places but also earn money while doing it because obviously we need to earn money to be able to do the travel and the diving so I then headed back to Thailand where I did my instructor training so I did all my other courses there um, lived in Thailand for probably four and a half years um, became an instructor and I taught there for for years and what I found was as soon as I became a paddy instructor and I was teaching diving, it just came hand in hand, the conservation of it, like immediately for me. So because obviously as soon as I was diving, so say in Thailand, as soon as I was diving, I could see coral reefs were dying. I could see, you know, the effect of like discarded fishing nets completely smothering reefs. So straight away, I wanted to like, protect you know what I loved was being harmed so from the minute I kind of was diving I wanted to do something to protect it you know you can't just be you can't be in the ocean diving for me I just can't understand how you'd want to be diving in the ocean and then not want to do something to protect it so um, it came hand in hand so from the minute I was an instructor I was also working in marine conservation immediately so I just would sign up for any course and anything I could get involved with, I would do. And, you know, in each country that I've worked in, I've worked basically in marine conservation, just from having that passion and, you know, putting in the time, you know, because a lot of it in the beginning, you know, it's, it's, and a lot of it still is unpaid volunteering um, to actually do good. So I would always volunteer my time, whether that was for, you know, diving for the debris and doing net removal, Um, or helping to do coral restoration I'd want to get involved with it so you know wherever I've worked I've been involved in marine conservation from you know back in the day so with with the corals you know I helped in in Thailand we did I was doing the bio rock technology which was a, a metal structure you run kind of electrical current through and it helps stimulate the growth of corals oh wow 
so I was involved with that, you know, when, when was that? Yeah, like 15, 20 years ago, I was helping with, with that project. So it's been a long time that I've been working with corals as well. So once I came to the Bahamas, I already had experience working with, with corals in both Thailand and in, and in Fiji. Got it. Got it. And one thing you mentioned too, and, and I'll, I'll let you finish the story of like how you got to be with the Paramarine Institute and everything. But one of the things too is there's this perception, I think, that, you know, looking at like your lifestyle, your your profession of diving and warm water, it's like, it's it's really cool. And there is like a glamorous side to it because it just looks awesome. But there's the reality, and as you touched on too, is there's a hard work aspect of it. Like diving for work is hard because you're you're tired pressure gets to you your sciences get screwed up you've had long days you're in the sun you're on a rocking boat you're schlepping tanks around like there's a lot of physical labor uh and challenge to it you know and eat whether it's in the super cold water or in the warm water where you are either way and so that passion that you have is like I, i'm guessing it just kind of keeps you energized so those you know there's probably epic days on the water and there's probably days where it's just rough and gray out and you're getting beat around underwater but you got to go do the work you know yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> if you're working in like marine conservation, it it's hard work, you know, it's long days, you know, and I, I have a lot of interns coming and, and helping out with me and they're just shocked. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? You know, it's like eight o'clock at night and I'm still having them there, like doing something, you know, the days can be ridiculous, you know, you can have like 14, 15 hour days. It's, it's it's hard work it's a lot of commitment you you know it's not something you go into to make money it's not something you go into yeah if you just want to work a few hours it is long hours you know and it's hard work but for me you know just the rewards are just so high you know just you're helping you know the help the ocean you're helping the recovery of critically endangered species you know, whatever project I might be working on, whether it's shark conservation, whether it's debris removal, whether it's the coral nurseries, you know, it's all about like protecting the oceans. So, you know, when you have that drive and that passion, then, you know, that just, you just get the work done. You know, that's what drives you to do it is the passion. So, you know, as you were saying, I haven't, I haven't got, you know, marine science degree. I haven't got a PhD, which is kind of rare with most of my colleagues. They're all doctors, you know, they've all done marine science PhDs. So for me, I'm quite lucky and I know that and I feel really fortunate to have been able to get into this line of work without having that background. Um, The reason I've got into it, luckily I got into this position is through my dive training background. It's through... Uh, the marine conservation work that I've been involved with, like I said, for the last you know 15 years, that I've been involved with in a variety of countries. So I've been lucky, like I said, for other people out there that are wanting to get into this, you know, and I say to my students all the time, you just have to get involved, you know, and it's really tough in the beginning because it isn't going to be an immediate, you're going to land that dream job. But just putting yourself forward, like, you know, go and help out with, you know, those sea turtles laying eggs in whatever country. Go and out help out in like a shark lab somewhere. Um, you know, put yourself forward for internships. Put yourself forward to volunteer and just get as much experience as you can, really. And like I said, that may not be paid experience, but 
in the end, just by giving up that time volunteering for free, at the end of it, you know, you could be fortunate enough that you're going to get paid doing it about the dream job. So it's just about, you know, putting yourself out there and, and getting involved with as many things as you can um, because, you know, and, and diving as much as you can and getting as many experiences as possible. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that for sure. Is there, and that folds back into that passion for doing that stuff and being underwater and protecting the thing, the stuff that we love. But you're right. It's like you got to get involved. And then marine science is hard, man. I mean, it's like I went through like my undergrad is in marine science. I have friends who are PhDs like you here in marine science and like jobs are scarce. You're not making a bunch of money and you kind of sort of got to take what you can get sort of. And so the more you can be active, you know, um, like you said, just volunteer and help turtles volunteer and count kelp volunteer and count seabird nests not the most sexiest glamorous things but all of that adds up and then doors open you make connections and it's just like you get i think it's key you know um just to find a cool spot and you're you're a great testament of that like your path of passion being involved it grows and like bam here you are you know there's no way you could have planned this out 20 years ago you know because you just <laughs> didn't see it it's, that's hard but you you, you made it you know so <laughs> good for you <laughs> yeah no i i do feel really fortunate like i said it was it was you know my dive instructing background that's got me here so you know i even yeah. say to a lot of people i'm like well become a dive instructor first of all and then once you're teaching diving get involved with various projects you know and that's that's the way that you can kind of get involved with different things so yeah. die you know being a dive instructor is a, a good way to get that experience as well now there's another aspect of your time underwater you're training people you're helping to grow corals you're doing so much but you're also doing there's like a fashion aspect there's an <laughs> art artistic aspect of this and it's so funny not funny it's so cool because scanning instagram you, you you're, you're just kind of you get numb to so much stuff but every now and then something pops up and you're like whoa you pause and i think it was i'm i can't find it i'm looking scanner right now but it was like this blonde woman in this flowing white dress standing like underwater like deep on the bow of this sunken ship that's been there for years and years and years just you know holding her breath with the the white dress kind of flowing behind her i'm like whoa what's that you know and then there's a lot of that going on now and then it turns out that's you like you do <laughs> underwater modeling i don't know if that's the correct term it's quite sad isn't it though even on my days <laughs> off i'm still in the ocean no i can relate i think they that's awesome me. they're like oh what are you what are your hobbies what do you do in your spare time i'm back in the ocean with friends uh just creating yeah no the the underwater modeling you know that just that's been going for a few years you know i started doing that with pia oyazan who uh is the founder of made in water and i know you did a, a an a awesome right. podcast with her she's awesome uh, she's amazing uh and obviously one of my best friends here and we just both of us, she's extremely passionate. Again, it's it's being passionate about the ocean. It's about loving being in it. And um, as a photographer, um, she just wanted to kind of get involved and do these underwater pictures, you know, and she's like, oh, hey, do you want to do some modeling? And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> wait, I don't model. I'm not very photogenic on land. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just have a go. So kind of put the frocks on, went underwater, and, um, you know, I remember some of our earlier photo shoots, you know, a few years back now. And, 
yeah, just doing this modeling, but it it just felt amazing underwater to be doing it first of all. Like pretty early on, we were obviously doing it with sharks and to be down there, you know, in a, in a some ball gown and I no mask on, <laughs> regulator in my mouth, but just having the sharks all around me and I can see them just moving around me, rubbing against me. And it just felt amazing. Really? Uh, really amazing feeling yeah there's nothing like it because that vulnerability that you have at that point oh, but then wow. you just you have to just be completely at one with the ocean again I know it sounds really cliche but I just felt so connected to the ocean when I'm doing it and you know you're just so relaxed you're just with all these all this marine life that you love and care so much about and it's just all swimming around you and then, you know, you're thinking, I have no idea what the photographer's capturing right now or how I look. I don't <laughs> I just gonna relax and enjoy the moment. And then to come out, and I remember the first few shoots and, you know, coming back on board and being like, oh, sorry, was that awful? Like, how was <laughs> is it all screwed up? Like, how does it look? Let me see. Well, I'm so sorry. Was that really bad? That was awful, wasn't it? And <laughs> He's like, no, 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 it was amazing, amazing. And she shows me, you know, the little on the screen on the camera. I'm like, what? That is insane. I just couldn't believe like the pictures, you know, when we first yeah. back at them and you're like, what? Like, it just absolutely blew me away because it doesn't feel like you're getting like, like you're ha I'm having an amazing time, but it doesn't feel like you're getting going to get any good photos. So <laughs> right. it's like, Oh my God. So obviously that's her talent at capturing those moments. Um, but just seeing them, the photos is just, it's, it's highly addictive after that is all I can say. It's just having those memories that I have, you know, and I can show my daughter, I can show my family of yeah. me being surrounded by, you know, beautiful coral reefs, by shipwrecks, by sharks and marine life that like I said I'm spending my life trying to protect to then be able to have that in like this artistic way and just have them up on my wall like it's it's just showing like oh the my love of the ocean you know on in print so it, it's just an amazing thing to do you know and I've been fortunate I work with Pierre a lot with Made in Water which I love doing uh, my friend Andre Musgrove is doing amazing things at the moment I've got to do lots of pictures with him I've also worked with Ken Kiefer which was fantastic with a lot of shark photo shoots and you know it's always good fun because the photographers are passionate you're passionate and you just get buzzed off thinking about mm. what here can we do next you know what wow. can we do <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. You know, I never thought about what you described, which is when you take your mask off, you have no, you really, you, you can't see anything underwater, right? Unfortunately, without a mask. And yeah. so, and as you mentioned, you're completely vulnerable. You have no bubbles flying out. You're not, there's no regular in your mouth. There's no mask. And so you're just completely in nature, completely one with everything else. And you have, but you have, you can't see it, right? Like when you're down diving, you see your mask, you can kind of get a really good idea for the, what's happening around you. And then to have this ins insanely awesome picture, like a photographer, like Pia, then do her work, her magic underwater with her cameras and then bring that back to the surface. And you see what that was like, because when you're doing it, I'm guessing when you're on the bow of that ship with sharks around you, you can probably try to visualize what it's like, but you really don't know because you can't see, you have no mask, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. It really is. Yeah, it's so quiet. Um, you know, obviously you get that feeling when you're free diving as well. But, 
you know, you haven't got the mask on, you know, you, you haven't got any regulator in or anything. And yeah, you're just completely at one. It's a mm. proper Zen moment. You know, you really have to be completely relaxed um, to do it. I don't recommend anyone does it without proper training. Obviously, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the ocean a lot. It is extremely dangerous. Yes, um, there are huge risks involved. Um, so please don't, you know, go and try doing those images without without the proper training. But yeah, it's just an absolutely incredible experience. But yeah, very highly addictive. Like I said, we're always, I'm always bugging Pierre at the moment. I'm like, Pierre, when can we go out? We're, we're both so busy. It's like, hey, let, we want to go out and play, but uh, trying to get our schedules to hook up is always quite difficult. But definitely for sure, soon we are going to go and do some more pictures because, uh, yeah, I, I love doing that in my, in my spare time. Oh, it's so cool. And I'm guessing too, and I, I don't have any kind of data to support this. There's this huge push just in general around the awareness of sharks as just, you know, fellow creatures in the water, not man-eating death machines, right? And when you are, there's this beautiful woman underwater in a comfortable position standing on a boat or a sunken ship or on the sand with sharks swimming around her that are just doing their thing. What I think is a byproduct of this because it's blending with fashion where people like to look at fashion is it also like is a byproduct of that, which is people register who, wow, these sharks aren't just tearing her to pieces. Maybe they aren't so bad. I just feel like there's maybe something else coming out of this, a byproduct around just awareness of, of sharks as, you know, <laughs> does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like there's there's various um, things that are coming out of it. Some, unfortunately, negative. You know, some people are like, oh, you shouldn't be using the sharks to do those pictures. Whereas, obviously, there's other people that are like, oh, that shark's not fighting you. It's like, yeah. Oh, that's because I'm not a fish and you know it's not I'm right. not part of its diet <laughs> so it's a really it is a very good educational tool for sure you know it does make it hopefully like you said it can give that message um, yeah. that they're not man-eating machines mm -hmm. but it's also important to let people know that there's also a great deal of respect you know for sharks with these images so you know, yes, I'm down there. I'm not getting attacked by a shark, but I also know how to behave with sharks. Right. I, you know, I'm I'm very used to shark behavior, so and interacting with them. So, you know, when I'm modeling, I'm not kind of waving my arms around in front of them or trying to touch them or, you know, making erratic movements. I'm just extremely calm, minimal movements. So there's a lot that goes behind it as well about learning about shark behavior, but. For sure. I, th I think it can have, and it has done, a lot of people have said, you know, oh, wow, you know, that's amazing. I didn't even realize that that's possible, that you could do that kind of modeling with a shark without being attacked. And, you know, then you can have, it opens up that conversation, doesn't it, to say, well, actually, you know, sharks don't, their diet isn't humans. They don't, um, you know, want to go around attacking human beings. Um, and this is evidence of that with those photos, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation starter in, in all ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. It's so cool, though. It, you know, and it, it, it's got it, a lot of people don't like it. You know, that they, 
they're not they're not really thinking it's a good idea to do it with the dresses um but you know like i said people need to understand that we are all involved heavily in shark conservation we have all done a lot of work protecting sharks and working with them and diving with scuba diving free diving with them on a regular basis so you know i just happen to be down there in a dress but it's still no different to me than being down there on scuba or being down there free diving i'm just having a natural interaction you know with the marine life and just happens to be getting some cool pictures at the same time yeah oh it's so cool so now how about your daughter yeah she's what about a year and a half is she on scuba yet (laughs) (laughs) i know you'd think so wouldn't you (laughs) she loves the ocean she's always she's visited a coral nursery already oh nice I took her out in a little floaty out to a nursery. Uh, obviously, she couldn't have a look at it, but she was just floating above a nursery already. Oh. Um, no, she's always in the water. Yeah, she absolutely loves it. And, and you know, that just gives me another drive, doesn't it? Once you have kids, it's just an even further push to protect it because seeing what I'm seeing in the decline of, um, you know, the oceans already, I, I'm just already worrying, you know, what's actually going to be left for her to see. Even yeah, even yeah. by the time she's 10 years old and can learn to dive, I'm already having a panic, like, what, you know, what is going to be left for her right. to see by the time she's 10 years old? So that's definitely another drive for me to help do what I can to protect it because I want I want her to be able to enjoy the things that I'm getting to enjoy and have enjoyed. Oh yeah, I love it. I feel the same way too. With and maybe I'm ahead of you a little bit. I've you know my daughters are 13. I have a son who's an older teenager, but same thing, you know, is and they're free diving and stuff now. And I I, I think the same thing for them in 10 years when they have the means, they want to go travel, you know, because they're out of school or maybe they whatever that I'm not paying for <laughs> buying their tickets to go travel around the world <laughs> if they want to. Like, will there be whale sharks for them? Will there be corals? You know, and I don't dwell on it and get really uh, pessimistic, but I just, you know, you do think about it, you know, and so I, I give, I admire you and give you uh, thanks for putting your time and everybody else who does something, whether it's full time, part time, or even as whatever we can to do something, you know, to help uh, preserve, c- conserve, protect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, like doing these chats with you, um, doing other stuff that I do on Instagram, on social media through teaching of students, you know, the the whole thing is about trying to get as many people involved as possible, trying to get people to actually care. You know, that's, I think, yes, there's a lot of depressing things happening to the environment, but the more, rather than just saying, okay, this is happening, but just to be proactive, just getting people, more people involved and whatever that may be, but just doing something to actually help and to actually care about the planet, care about our ocean and actually start to play their role in, in helping to preserve it. You know, that that's what we need to do. Just get everybody yeah. to do something and it'll make a difference, won't it? Like each of us can right. individually make a difference for sure. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, well, Haley, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, again, thanks for doing, putting all your time into the ocean and to others, training others, but uh, your own time to help protect. And thanks for sharing your time today, sticking with me over the past few months of crazy schedules to finally make, get an hour set aside. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much as well. It's been great chatting. Great. Well, take care and uh, good luck with everything in your upcoming season. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Okay. Goodbye.
All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening uh, to another podcast episode. Can't do it without you. And uh, so thrilled to have you here supporting uh, myself and the podcast and all the guests uh, continually. Always appreciate a positive um, rating on your, uh, your podcast app, whether it be you know Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. Just helps helps grow the podcast and uh, spread awareness. So thanks for that. And then any uh, social media mentions, always super appreciative. And uh, if you know somebody who you think would be great to have on the podcast to share the, about their ocean life, please hit me up. I'd love to chat with them. Or if you think you'd like to, let me know. Uh, Email is josh at thisoceanlife.tv. All right. Thanks, guys.